0: semicolons are like a polarized state they're between three different existences all at once
1: what about the commas?
0: the commas are like in a thing where they, uh, they go through like a computer with light and they transfer across the world
1: you should have commas on the end of every
0: line they are, they're just in four places at once
1: every comma, everywhere no, the
0: comma is interpolating between each line
1: no, you're still wrong though you know what bike shedding is no i don't know what bike shedding is bike shedding is it's not really a great term but it, it does explain something that's very very important and is it when your deal. bike
0: like sheds its tires at the end of a season no it seems like that would be it but it's totally not it and again <sighs> this is why it's know, my bike sheds its tires all the time and i don't know <laughs> i don't know what it's doing it's like all of a sudden your, it's like these are this is this is the winter tires They're your, your exercise bike
1: your <laughs> no. exercise
0: bike has different problems
1: no not i was, shedding tires i was talking about like a bike bike that i don't i was i was being,
0: it was being stupid oh yeah that's true.
1: anyway bike shedding apparently is when it comes from the idea that you're having an argument over what color to paint the bike shed when you haven't finished building the rest of the house the reason why this relates to programming is we programmers are of tribes and we fall into things fall into categories about things both consequential and not so consequential and so bike shedding is having arguments over the not consequential stuff. So the reason, what inspired me to talk to you about this, Greg, is that I listened to an episode of syntax recently. I think it was their last episode. No, they put out a lot of episodes. It was, I think two episodes ago.
0: Do they do like one, one a day? They do
1: two a week, (sighs) but they do one, like one's like a quick one, right? One's a quick one called hasty tree. Those are usually pre-recorded. So that's the thing is that they'll do, pre-recorded ones and then they'll have like their legit show and the hasty trees are shorter they're usually 30 to 45 minutes the longer ones are about an hour and the longer ones are every week so they do have a very high volume those guys are great anyway they did an episode on this very recently i thought it was interesting to take a look at it. and i thought that maybe you and i could take a look at some of these and have a fun not hot take at all discussion about which way to go about these things that ultimately don't really matter but they're still kind of fun to i talk love about. these kind of things hit me all right, so we're going to go down the list. I'm going down the list, uh, kind of verbatim from the syntax show notes, but the topics are still things
0: that we can argue about. Numero uno, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Taz versus spaces. Oh man, I knew there were these things. Mm-hmm. Are you my opinion? I'm asking you, Greg. Oh, my opinion is that personally, so I'm kind of like in the middle. Personally, I am a two-space person.
1: I agree with you. Oh, I am a hundred percent two spaces. So I think this argument has, has two different ways to think about it. tabs versus spaces in terms of how many tabs versus how many spaces I use, two or four or whatnot. But also, also there is a subset of this argument of replacing two spaces with an actual tab character. And a tab character mm-hmm. is an empty space that takes up two spaces, but it's actually one character. Yeah. I don't do that. That is the wrong way to go folks tabs in that situation is 100% incorrect let me tell you why let me tell you why if you I'm open waiting. up a new code base
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you open it up in your editor mm-hmm. and you look at your indentation you're like oh that must that that's two spaces wide yeah right and you put your cursor at the beginning of that line and you hit backspace what's going to happen
0: and delete one space you the have, character. no the answer is you
1: have no idea Mm, the one answer of those is questions. you have no idea because if it's a tab, it's going to erase the whole thing and take you to the beginning of the line. If it's a space, it takes you back one space. Mm. The problem is, and the reason why you never use t- tab characters is
0: that you can't tell by looking at it. Well, you can, if you have invisible characters in your editor, but yes, that assumes that you're smart enough to do that.
1: Yes, that's true. Don't make me think Greg, don't make me work.
0: Well, no, I mean, most people probably wouldn't do that. Now here, here is the ultimate correct answer to this question. Later. Always, 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 always have an editor config, and the which is a file .dot editor config file that allows you to define the amount of spaces and the tab type, either if it's two spaces or an actual tab, whatever. The indentation types are allowed to be defined per language. Yes, that's true. Because the it reason why could be why, per file type too. Could be yeah. Well, that's what I meant. Per language, per file type. The reason why that matters, in my opinion, is that Laravel which I use have used a lot in my life is either one tab or four spaces. I don't remember, but it's not two spaces you and PHP it, is weird. generally, well, that's strange. It's whatever makes sense, but it's the other one. I think it's, I think it's one tab. It's the opposite of the one that makes sense. <laughs> no, no, I think it's, it makes sense. Like they made the other decision. Like I think it's, I think it's one tab. They did it specifically to be unique. No, no, no. They did the other common choice, which is a tab. One tab. One tab, I think. Not two tabs. Not Never two tabs.
1: No. A, a four-space distance indentation like looks really indented. Like, it does. It but takes it, up a lot of space.
0: It makes sense when you look at PHP, though, because it's very class-like. I don't know. But the, but the problem is, I guess it makes sense to me because I've done a lot of PHP, and I know that it's usually typically one tab, but it... It's problematic when you don't have an editor config and then you have a project that has both like common JavaScript code with two spaces, whether it's jQuery or whatever, or Vue, whatever the heck is in there, because Vue is typically used on Laravel. You'll have that, but then you go into the PHP code, it's a different indentation. Yeah, and true. if you don't have a good editor, like VS Code or IntelliJ or like any one of them that supports an editor config with that plugin installed, it won't know what it's doing. You're going to have a bad time. You're going to have a bad time. You're going to check in. Uh a bunch of empty
1: spaces in your commits and you won't even know it's going to break everything. But you do bring up a good point that if you are working in a team where a bunch of people are working on the same thing, it doesn't matter which one of these you pick. It just has to be consistent across everybody's code base. That's the only thing that matters.
0: And there are editor plugins, by the way. If you really do have this problem on your team and you're just insane and you can't get over it, there are plugins. I'm pretty sure they existed for Sublime Text. I'm sure they exist now, where it will convert whatever the project uses to what you're used to looking at
1: Yes, and then it'll switch it back. And for it'll you switch when you it commit. back yep. when you save it. Yep. That's one reason why Prettier does that too. Prettier does that. You could just set those up. Even yeah. You can even abstract it away one step further and have it be a post-commit hook.
0: You can, but then they... Yeah. That's
1: another step. But there there are ways yeah. around if you've got you know, a little holy war going on in your team. There are ways around it to keep everybody happy, but also keep the code base sane. So.
0: Yeah, I think if you're really having a problem with this, just take a vote and just be like raise of hands who wants to do what? Oh, that's soft, man. What are you going to do? Duke it
1: out and fight? Office, office Fight Club, obviously. Like, well, come on, man. No, it's, it's, not, it's not there's other things to have fight clubs about. If it's that your, is not if one it's of your
0: first time, girl, you have to fight. No. There's other things that you're going to end up actually wanting to fight yeah, about. Yeah, some of the, some of the <laughs> other ones on
1: this list are stuff that we're so anyways, probably actually going to fight. So, anyway, I would about. say
0: my final conclusion, and I think your conclusion too, is whatever the project uses, we prefer two spaces, but whatever the project uses in this language dependent. Yes, that's Editor true. configs rock, editors do cool things. Go. Agreed. Next one. Next one. Single versus double quotes. Oh, in JavaScript, for sure single.
1: Here's the trick question. All the time?
0: Hmm. I do them on all import statements. I do them on all JavaScript code, and I do doubles, obviously, in JSX. Because I consider that HTML.
1: Yes. Yeah, so HTML has doubles. The reason why I bring that up is that it is different depending on, right? If you're writing JavaScript, if you're writing React, and the reason why I know this is because at my job we use the Airbnb guide. As oh our, man, as there's base, so many rules. In which that. is, they've got a lot of rules, but we're also very liberal about the. Yeah, but then you're just overriding time. everything. But they're one offs. I we love do the... it. We do it rarely enough that it's yeah. One-offs. But you know, anyway, I, I anyway, did a bunch anyway. of. Anyway, is
0: there a question in here about the style guys? Because we'll skip it till then.
1: We'll add it next. Go for it. We'll go for it later. Anyway, Mm -hmm. so the Airbnb style guide actually enforces certain situations where it wants to use single quotes, where it wants to use double quotes, and it wants you to use uh, string literals. There are certain situations where it will tell you you cannot use a string literal here.
0: There are situations. Well, for one, I know the Airbnb style guide doesn't like you using string literals as the back text, right? Yes. It doesn't want you to use those unless you're actually interpolating. Unless you're you're
1: interpolating a variable, that's correct.
0: Yeah, but um, there actually are certain situations. I think more in templating languages and PHP where they actually matter. Like if you're writing PHP, for instance, and you're returning like some markup and you need to actually preserve in, I haven't written PHP in a long time where like literally return HTML. Like I usually use twig or tim- or something, you know, like yeah. twig or blade or something else. But if you want to return in a literal sh- a literal double quote that goes in the markup, but then you still want to use like a, a plus a value situation and you're not using any other kind of like string position in- injection or whatever, you have to know which one you're using. But rarely do I ever do that. Most of the time, like I'll use an actual double tick, or a regular quotation mark when it's going into some kind of markup, whether or not it's JSX or just regular templated markup. But then, whenever I'm writing JavaScript, to use singles.
1: Yes, that is that is the correct answer,
0: folks. Gosh, two for two, two for two. Good job, Greg. What about the one that I just added? What, what, what about guide? what about style guide rules? it Depends. I
1: think it goes back to consistency, right? Um, if you are, if you have a very strong opinion one way or another about how your style guide should be laid out, then you should probably have a style guide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you think that the Airbnb one is good, stick to the Airbnb one. If you think it is too hardcore, you know what? You can write your own. Figure out how hard that is to keep track of all that stuff and how. Many of these things that we're about to talk about on this list are going to come up when you try to write your own style guide.
0: Yeah, they're going to come up. My thing is that I think style guides, period. I think that they're totally necessary. What rules they have, I'm just going to hot take. I don't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Consistent.
1: It has to be consistent. The point of the style is to is not to enforce uh,
0: opinion. It's not it's to pass down the test, 10 commandments.
1: Yeah, yeah. It is to keep everything the same. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't matter. Doesn't really what matter it what the is. rules are.
0: There's some rules that, out of sanity and like people being used to, like, okay, here's a good one. I, oh, here's the next one that we can bring up. Let's just skip right into it. Standard JS or no? What does that mean? Standard JS is where all the hipsters remove all the colons and then they just. Oh, like, no, that's the next one. Hold on. Okay, oh, okay. So okay. The next one is semicolons. Okay, fine.
1: At the end of every whatever, every line. Yeah. So like in your in your mm-hmm. in your React in your import statements, are Everything. you writing semicolons yep. at the end of every line? Yeah. What about when you define a variable?
0: always every line every single line the end of functions the end of uh, array objects everything because you want to know why these these i'm going to tell you about these hipster kids right they think standard js is cool right because always less stuff to write also i have another one we can just keep going forever but anyways the last one is dangling commas I'm not oh, looking no, at the No, that's on this list Yeah, see, no, I know. I'm going to no, 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 cover no, no, them all. No, no, we can't. We, no,
1: we'll well, get I can't to that turn one my head, so I don't no, know we'll, what's we'll get right. to that one. Okay, okay. That, one, that okay. one's okay. its own thing. Okay. It's sim-
0: it's, the opinion of mine is similar, right? The language was designed to have semicolons at the end of statements. It yes. terminates the statement. And, and, you hipster kids, if you use standard JS, fine. If you literally follow the rules of standard JS, you'll probably be fine. But there are times when the AST compiler will require that you put a semicolon because it doesn't know what you're doing because the language is supposed to have them semicolons for life we're gonna have to
1: disagree on some of these or else this is not gonna be fun but yes i 100 agree sure
0: we'll get there we don't be
1: savage semicolons semicolons are like putting on a tie with a suit like you just have to do it the there's only no reason, one there's no reason not to
0: the only time to be fair to the hipsters the only time that i think they look okay but it's inconsistent so i would say no is on import statements I would consider because there's no syntactical analysis to an import statement. Like when the import statement is done, it's done. It's not like it's going to get confused and be like, "Are you importing the second thing?" They're just a finite. But in order for consistency,
1: consistency, is keep the them point. there. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. But like
0: they look okay when they're not there, on imports and exports. That's true. But if you're going to be consistent. Be consistent. Don't be a savage.
1: Yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. So this next one, I don't know if you'll have an opinion on this one. So grouping and ordering your CSS properties. So what this is referring <laughs> I know to, what it is. Yeah. you know, you know, you know what this, is, but for the, for the listeners, what this is referring to is that anyone who's written CSS for a long time, you kind of have this like natural grouping of what properties go together, right? Like mm-hmm, if you, mm-hmm. if you write margin, you're probably gonna have some padding.
0: Yeah. So if you write writing.
1: display flex mm-hmm. and you're going to have some flex, pro- have some flex, 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 flex properties in there, yep. and you kind of, those kind of end up getting grouped together wherever they are in, mm-hmm. in the actual CSS class that you're writing, height and width, stuff like that. That is fine and I think that logically works but there is a school of thought where you should... Alphabetize them. Alphabetize them.
0: I am for grouping. I think when you're thinking... I could go either way and there was one project where I wanted to make everything like I didn't want to define the rules, but I wanted it to be consistent. So I even use Stylelint, which is a thing if, yes, you, if you don't know. That's true. There is style in and you can define That is one of the rules. It's like a plugin I think you can add where it will automatically alphabetize things for you. Kind of like ESLint does. Yes, that's When true. you say dash dash fix, it'll alphabetize them. I, I think that if someone, if someone really, really wants to do that, they're a bit anal retentive. Like you don't need to organize them alphabetically. I think it makes more sense to either A, not care. It's easy thing to do as long as the CSS works and it's readable, great. The other thing you can do is group them by type of thing. I know that height and width are going to go together. I know the things that are dealing with the box model are going to be grouped. Height, width, padding, margin, all those things are going to be grouped in some order. And then going further down is like things that are less elemental, like box model so it would be i don't know
1: like borders and stuff like
0: borders that. and crap that are superfluous like they'll be down below they'll be lower i think in my mind so i like to think of like let's get the box model figured out then let's do all the other crap pointer types pointer you know cursor pointer all that crap would be down below or up top and then you deal with the box model at the bottom but they're just grouped in some way
1: yes so i am extremely torn on this one this one keeps me up at night. So here's why. I don't know why. I've been writing CSS for a long time. And so I do have this like mental model of where these things go. And someone's telling you to alphabetize them? No. But. The there's plugins biggest, for that. The biggest, there, there are two things that make alphabetizing make so much sense, so much objective sense that I almost can't like ignore it. Okay. Okay. One, if everybody alphabetizes, that means it makes it super easy for anybody to find what they're looking for, no matter what. Brand mm-hmm. new to the code base, never seen it before. Oh, yeah, of course. Background is going to be first, and z-index is going to be last. Yes, that makes perfect sense. That's exactly where they are. Okay. Second, mo- more importantly, mm-hmm. is when you open up your Chrome dev tools and you look at the CSS for a specific element, what order are those properties in? Probably alphabetical. They're in alphabetical order.
0: Mm. So, so Google's made regardless, a
1: decision. Regardless of how you wrote them, yeah, yeah. they're in alphabetical order.
0: Hmm. I guess that makes it easier when you're like you know, rogue coding in the, in the, in the preview tool. And then you're copying, and you copy and paste it and they're already in order. <sighs> I still, I, more well, personally, uh, even if I was a front end dev, I wouldn't really care. But two, those are compelling arguments, but I don't think it matters enough to get an Atissi over. So like it, it, even it, I think the, personally, I think that there's other questions like, the amount of nesting that you do inside of SAS yeah, is like a, ES, bigger well, well,
1: is that, a bigger deal. Well, their there are ESLint rules that restrict. I think the Airbnb style guide uh, enforces alphabetical order and no more than two layers of nesting.
0: That kind of makes sense. Cause the yeah, the minute you go further than two layers, you should it probably gets crazy. make a class. It gets wild. Yeah. yeah. But like that kind of stuff matters to me more because then what are you alphabetizing the layers to? No, not? the layers are like
1: a separate thing. It's like a new paragraph.
0: Mm. Okay, well, I don't know. There's other things that matter more to me, I think. And, and ultimately, the, I understand that like people shouldn't, shouldn't. I think that there should be style in because people go in there and they like leave spaces. They don't compact yeah. things. They, you know, they they won't use the right quotes. They won't use, you know, five digits of hex colors. They only use three they or don't have six lines or whatever. Between the yeah, there's not enough lines. And like things like that are getting annoying. But then when I added style to the project, I added it to. Without doing an automatic fix, which I'm not really a big fan of, with ESLint or Prettier or StyleLint, I think people should learn how to format their own code. But um, consistently and equally between everybody, Like everybody should have the same format rules, which is hard with editors, but whatever. Um, Which is kind of what Prettier decides to do, but the thing I hate about Prettier is it only has like 10 properties. Yeah, it's not that. Which is insane to me. But anyways, I think there's other things that are more important to worry about, and I think that the only thing that really matters with CSS is that your... Nesting is understandable. Your breakpoints are understandable, and your class names make sense, which is why, like, I'm a fan of BEM. Even though sometimes it creates more physical markup in the code, like more extra writing, but you're not going to have a collision between. You're less likely to have a collision if you've BEM named your classes than if you haven't, and not something like full BEM, like to the extreme, like you're like this thing is like a widget and underscore the red widget, like not too crazy, just like everything is prefixed with something. Your brand name, yeah, underscore so. a class, dash the type, you know, that kind of stuff. Like whatever that is, is more important than the alphabetizing of the the stuff. And I think nest levels is very important because it's very hard to read. And that's one of the reasons why I like either style components or CSS modules or something because it forces you style components, well, CSS modules for sure, Enforces that you don't nest too much. You yeah, but have
1: top-level classes. It for allows you to be a little bit looser with the nesting because you can target things specifically within a component without being super nested within classes. It's actually yeah. kind of nice.
0: And the other thing is, that CSS modules alleviates the need for BEM because it's always well, if you code it too, it's always adding the hexes, so it doesn't really matter if the yeah. classes collide. I don't know. CSS is uh is fun. Yeah,
1: Excellent. so I'm torn on opinion. that one. Mm-hmm. You seem like you like just the grouping by logic.
0: I'm indifferent, but I prefer grouping by logic. But um, The I logic can
1: change from person to person. That's, that's, that's kind of a thing. problem with it. But, so. then,
0: but but the thing is, everybody has their own conceived notion of what the grouping is. Yeah. So if you alphabetize them, then literally nobody understands what they are, except for the people that like alphabetizing. So you, everybody loses. This is why we can't have nice things. There's a
1: logic that Z index should always come first. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense either way, whichever way you pick. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, that, that one really, like, I'm very torn on that one.
0: I don't. I, I, kinda, don't. I, I like
1: the look of both of them, but I can't, I can't have a hot take and put my foot down and pick one or the other. So yeah. let's, let's keep it going here.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Um, this next one's dumb. Do you still use var at all ever?
0: Um, there are reasons why you would want to because of lexical scoping, I believe, because var still gets hoisted, whereas let and constant don't believe do. That's so true. there's actually legit reasons why you would, but no, I don't.
1: I haven't written var in over two years. I'm, I haven't, but I I'm know that they, that they
0: left it in. I mean, they're not going to remove it in ES6, the but they, they left it in as a language construct because of hoisting. Yeah, that's true. So like var in line with a for loop, it's technically the same thing as a let, but let is lexically scoped. So I think it doesn't get hoisted. So there's like, there's, there's certain times when you could use var, but I, I have not found a reason since the ES6 came out where I had to. So To no. use it
1: over... Yeah, I just use let. Let or const. Yeah. Okay.
0: Const next. is kind of annoying because sometimes you you want to just redefine something and it's like real extreme about it. If you say const cats equals cats and you try to change it to dog, no.
1: No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. But that's what const is there for though. Yeah, but that's const, const no, means that's something. That's what it's there
0: for. Hold on a sec. Const means something in PvP. PvP. <laughs> PHP. <laughs> okay, well, you know, we know where my mind's always at. Const means something in PHP, because it actually is a constant for the entire app. Const within a function is just a lexically scoped, locally scoped value that can't be reassigned.
1: Yeah, but that's where the scope is in JavaScript, though.
0: I know, but I'm saying maybe they shouldn't have used the word const, because it's not actually a constant. It's a constant value in within the scope of this, but it's not actually a in constant. In JavaScript land, it is. Okay, well, in PHP, if you say const something, it literally is a constant. You in, can't even define, well, it's in constant.
1: JavaScript, in JavaScript, that is what that means. I know. I know what they that's mean. That's more of a comment on JavaScript than anything but, else. But,
0: you know, it just is, it doesn't mean the same thing as other languages. And anyways, next one, or your opinion. Yes, that's I'm true. over it.
1: Uh, I literally haven't written const in years. So, bar, I mean, mean, not const. I haven't written var in years. I don't see a time when I would What like did they say? Again. You listen to it. They said, well, they said right here, both of them are const for life. Like mm. when you they both said they don't really write far that much.
0: Okay, um, okay,
1: moving on to the next one. Default first named exports.
0: Yeah, um, in the context of React, whenever it's a class, I always use the default export. Like if you're writing a component, always or a functional or a class component, I will always use the default. If I'm writing like any kind of like utility library or any kind of like like in Node. I explicitly use named exports because in node you're writing more, you're writing more classes or more components that could potentially have more than one, not meaning per file, but more than one export. It's more common. Yes. And to convert it to like a named export from a default, it's not that annoying, but so for, for react always default, unless I'm writing some kind of utility thing or, Something where I am exporting more than one thing, but in node, I typically will write named exports.
1: So you have taken the long way around oh, yeah. to get I to, always do have we met to the fact that this is a simple counting problem, folks. Mm. When you write React components, how many how many components you how many exports should you have in a React component? You should literally only have one. So I
0: can I can think of a case where you have two, but I want you to finish here.
1: You should literally only have one. You know why? You should why? only have one because my Airbnb style guy is telling me that I'm only allowed to have one export.
0: Well, it's a common thing if you if you're creating a class that is actually like a file class that is literally a component, it should only export one thing. I can tell you a reason why you'd have two.
1: You ready? Uh, To export out of a React component. Out of a React component. An actual React component.
0: Yes. I can tell you why. When you are unit testing a component that relies on Connect or some kind of composability, you typically want to export the pure class so that you can unit test the pure class separately from the connectable part. That's the only time, only time I ever do it. Because that way you don't need to mock the provider for Redux or anything that has a provider. You don't have to mock the provider every time you have to mount the component. Don't you still export the class independent of the connect, though? The default would be the the connect. Yeah, so you would just be defaulting. You them. would just also export const the class name because you want to be able to import literally just the React component with no connect. But that class name would not be the default. It would not be the default. Ah, uh, okay. The, the default would be the connectable one, and then the testable one would be the named.
1: That's, that's a new one for me. So that's that the only sense.
0: time I ever do that. And then you all, of course don't not test your connected one that's what you ones. have to you have to wrap it in a provider and do this whole test all the things cuz literally when you're when you're unit testing something you're trying to isolate what is the core being of this component which technically is two things one it's connected to all of redux but in reality what does that even mean it means that redux literally just gives you a certain set of props that come from the global state which you can unit test cuz you can mount the actual component unconnected and then you can pass in uh, all the props that Redux would mount. And I think I learned this from, what's the guy on Udemy that we always talk about? Steven Grider. I think I learned it from Steven Grider's testing portion of his Redux.
1: Oh, I did not thing. see that one. Re- he, he did, did a, a whole... Uh, special one for specifically for Redux?
0: It was, the, it was the class on Redux, and he, or... Or was it the testing class? I think it was a testing class, but he had a whole class where he talked to, it was either a whole class where he talked about testing or it was in the Redux one, he talked about texting for, texting, testing, wow. Testing. Testing. Now, Greg's brain, um, where you would do the testing of the Redux stuff. But either way, I'm pretty sure I learned that from there. It's a dope tip. Grider's dope. That's pretty good. All right.
1: All right, so where are we on this list? I don't know. Next one is, which front end framework to use? <laughs>
0: In life? Which front-end framework do you use? It just says which front-end framework to use. The one that's right for the project. Bam. That is the correct answer. All right, we're done. See
1: you. Bye. <laughs> we literally, we've literally answered every single question with that statement. So,
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I think... Well, you, you go because I always have a longer answer. What do you think? Well, React these
1: days is really good. Mm-hmm. It works for a lot of use cases. There's a reason why it's as popular as it is. It does not mean it's always the correct correct mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. tool for the job so there are things like vue that exist there are mm-hmm. things like angular that exist mm-hmm. there are things mm-hmm. like don't use a framework at all that
0: exist that does exist and then there's the people that say that and then end up creating a framework themselves yeah that's usually how those things come about cuz you need something so you end up like oh i can write a quick little utility library where it's like a class that exports a thing cool you just wrote the functionality of react yeah you without think, you know you without think, all the cool
1: stuff where do you think normalized css came from mm-hmm. where do you think the idea of a css reset came from Mm-hmm. Every single day I'm going on Hacker News and I see somebody goes, oh, I wrote this tiny little CSS library mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that can be like your default CSS. And everybody goes, that's a framework. Yep. You wrote a framework. Yeah. And then they're all opinionated and whatever. Yeah. of they Some of them, well, to be frank, they, uh, I've seen a couple in the last maybe two days or so. Have you seen Maybe did, last week? Did you see the was, one that
0: Uber built? I don't know when they built it, but it I came across know. my radar. It's actually really nice. Looking. I don't know. I saw one. I don't know about semantically, but it looks. Cool. I
1: saw one last week called Water CSS, and Ooh. it's literally just it just styles all of your default they tags, like your H ones.
0: A waterfall. But it's actually not bad.
1: It's like enough to, to make it look like it's been styled, but it's not like too much. It's actually super nice. There's a dark variant and a light variant, which are built into the, the mm-hmm. library, and you literally just set a C, uh, SAS variable. It's actually super nice.
0: It looks really good. I liked Bulma a lot, and then I started looking at like. I started using it more because in theory, I really like it because it's SAS based and it's modular and you can import different things and it's really easily adaptable to React and stuff. And then when I got more into it, I was like, this is why I don't like CSS.
1: So this is an interesting question because I think that which front end framework, our first instinct to answer that question is React Vue, Angular. But mm-hmm. now we've gotten into CSS frameworks. Well then, yeah. which are different from front And they're also dependent because, but they're also kind of related.
0: Yeah, because there's certain there's certain CSS frameworks that work better on those back end frameworks. Like I think Bootstrap is better isn't is take us with a grain of salt, but I think that the Bootstrap React libraries vary in quality. And I think that some of the crap that's in Bootstrap is superfluous for React because you end up you end up adding classes to your JSX that you could have just wrote CSS for. And then the more that your client gives you like a crazy design, their comp is like insane, the less it conforms to Bootstrap anyways. No, you shouldn't be using Bootstrap. So anyways, you should just use Flex. Like you should just build your own CSS framework. But then you end up being like, okay, well now all this crap like forms don't work in Firefox. And you're like, oh, I should have used the CSS framework.
1: And then you reinvent the wheel. And And then then you're like, oh, I built a CSS framework. It doesn't apply at all to our next client. Yep.
0: So going back to the question, what is my opinion about CSS framework or uh, regular frameworks? Let's just ignore CSS for a sec. I think it really depends on the project because you will get clients that will tell you this must be in Angular because the rest of our applications are in Angular.
1: That's, that's true. Yep. Or you'll those, have some. you will have to talk to some legacy stuff, or mm-hmm. you need to upgrade. Oh, heaven forbid, you have to upgrade from like Angular one to oh
0: 4 yeah or five or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there's like a lot of that, and a lot a lot of apps that I've seen that are corporate based. Typically, you still will use if they're really old or haven't been maintained in a while. They use Angular one. Yes, that's true. Um, I haven't really seen a lot of them that I've worked on. I know they're there. Don't hate me, Angular people. I know there's a lot of people that like it, but I haven't seen a lot of new apps or new websites that I've worked on that have been built or required to be in modern Angular, except for uh, what's that front-end thing called, or the the mobile app building thing we worked on? Ionic. Ionic is in Angular, and it was okay. they, They built a port for React. Oh, of course. They so did. now they have. Now you can write whatever you want, which is that's even better. cool. I mean, that's like the you know that's the whole way that like like Vue did that. It didn't originally have GS. You can use JSX with Vue because yep. the renderer engine is like separate. That's the whole point. The why it's called Vue. Anyways, but like my opinion is that the project is going to dictate top line what you use in terms of like if the client says it's going to be Angular, it's going to be Angular. Period. Nothing to say about it. Um, but then if you have to choose if you get to choose greg because it's an
1: opportunity it is a gift most of the time <laughs> it is a gift to be able to choose this
0: i mean it depends like i work in advertising so a lot of projects we do just like our upstarted projects and assuming that you know the 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 timing and the developers understand how to use it and the animations or some of the stuff in the front end is conducive to it you can use whatever you want like react even but there are certain times when vue is more conducive to like working with PHP, which is why it's in Laravel. Yes. So if you need to render something from the server that injects some markup that's structured by the server for various reasons, like say that you have access to the data for like your application and you don't want to expose it through any kind of API, but you want to inject some of some pieces of the app and say it's a banking app or something, I don't know and the data is really, really super protected, but you want to render some part of it to the markup, then you would have Laravel render like a template, an X template. And then Vue is like, oh, point me at my template. I'm going to render with that template. Great, it's already in the markup. Cool, I'm great.
1: Awesome. Here's three functions and here's access to your store. Bam, done. All you need. Well, I mean. Vue Vue is really good about getting out of your way and just getting you stuff that you need like that. Mm-hmm. So yes, I agree with you.
0: So it just depends, but personally, uh, if I'm going to start a project, it's probably going to be React. Um,
1: but you know, you've it's funny that you bring up Laravel because you've built both Vue frontends for Laravel and also React frontends mm-hmm. for Laravel. Mm-hmm. So if you're starting something newest, latest Laravel backend,
0: and the and the front end had and to be in Laravel, like y- well, you get to pick. I mean. If I, I mean, I'm not going to knock PHP. So, like, if I need to write an API and it's literally like a CRUD API with some business logic, Laravel, well, say like Lumen, like the Laravel's uh, API version, which is just a slimmed down version of Laravel, would be on my list, like because it has a lot of plugins, like JWT authentication and automatic authentication controllers and all these things. But if you want to use those with a server rendered React application. You're probably just going to end up using like Gatsby or something, and then connecting to Laravel for data.
1: So, like the headless pattern.
0: You do the headless pattern, but then you get to control the backend.
1: So it's like. So then the backend doesn't really matter.
0: The backend really doesn't matter to me. It could be in anything. Like there's certain reasons why. And this is getting a little bit off topic, but there's certain like you might use Spring MVC for your backend, not the MVC, but like Spring API, Spring REST, Spring whatever the whole version of Spring dash REST, whatever. You might use that for your API because you know you're doing analytics processing and your backend team has written everything in Java. Like you might do that. You could be using Python because you are what your API actually is is like a machine learning system that's written in Python, or a machine learning thing written in Java, or like something like that. So to me, like the thing that connects to the business logic is almost irrelevant. It could be node, it could be PHP, it could be Python, it could be Java, it could be. Ruby,
1: but as long as you're data jujitsuing everything and it's all set up in well, a headless the, that's pattern, what I was getting that's at. the only thing that matters.
0: That's what I was getting at. Is that then you're going to have to deal with data jiu jujitsu and getting data into the front end? It's going to have to be an API. You're going to have to you know request the data from the front end. So, like for instance, to answer your question, if someone asked me to build a simple website that needs a backend, because say the backend is managing purchasing but for some reason they can't use stripe you have to like connect to something else right something crazy like that i would probably use laravel because i know that i've built like amazon payments gateways in laravel and you can extract abstract it really well and like separate the amazon payments php library from the rest of laravel like you can encapsulate it really well so i'd probably do that and then if for some reason i needed to build the front end but like the requirement was that laravel itself had to render the front end I'd probably use Vue because Laravel and Vue are married together and happy.
1: So. Interesting.
0: I don't know. It depends.
1: Depends. That's very helpful in going over what, the, what you should be looking for or how you make that decision rather than saying you should do this one yeah, thing or the other.
0: I think that's, my, that's a good way to conclude what I'm saying is you have to think about it. But I think that the decision, everything I just said is going to end up being a boom, boom, boom decision. Like,
1: just make it a flowchart. And that'll get yeah. you to the correct answer for your project.
0: I'm sure there's a what front end framework flowchart somewhere. Just so make has. it for yourself. Yeah, i was just saying use the internet.
1: But like what sure. is the backend that you were using? PHP, yeah. something from this decade. That's, yeah. your, that's your first tree.
0: Because the other thing is it's really, really hard to server render if the backend is rendering React and it's not in Node. It's very hard to server render React yes, from that's true. a PHP server, which you can do. Yes, that's true. And you can do it from Java, but you know uh it's going to take you a long time.
1: the necessity of whether or not you need server rendering will determine will be a big factor in determining what you choose for your backend and your front end so keep that in mm-hmm. mind, folks mm-hmm. Next question, what code editor we did a whole episode on this a um, little
0: bit. yeah, we can reiterate quickly. Uh, we know your answer it's, be, it's sublime I'm, text for sure
1: <laughs> I actually opened sublime text the other day
0: Smultron. I actually opened sublime
1: text <laughs> the other day and when I went to go do an extension thing, I was completely lost. you're because you're not capable of dealing with change. I think, what, well, I think one of the things I got super used to <laughs> how Visual Studio Code has a nice page for every single extension. Yeah. And you can yeah. like, read what the hell it's about, read what the configuration options are. If it's a color theme, it gives you a picture of the name color theme. So you can yeah, also what just go to sublime text. Plugins, well, that's a whole nother websites. thing. This one's inside the editor. Yeah, but
0: that's extra. I just, got, I just got used All right, to it. Whenever you're saying, yeah.
1: Sublime is still faster, though. Yeah, for definitely sure. still faster.
0: But I, I even when I said that on the last thing, I still I have Sublime Text installed. Often, when I want to do a scratch pad thing, it's just VS Code. Or if I'm doing a small little one-off project, I do like VS Code. Um, if it's something big, I use IntelliJ. We already went over that.
1: We already went over that. Um, VS Code has been working really well for me. Uh, The integrations with Jest, ESLint, and Prettier specifically uh, have been really super helpful.
0: Well, yeah, it's really good Um, if you're just doing React. But as we talked about last time, I do many, many, many languages.
1: Well, I mean, Red Hat did write the Java extension, so I don't know.
0: Yeah, but it's not IntelliJ, which is literally the thing that people write Java in now. The language itself is probably written in IntelliJ.
1: Did we come down on a side uh, between Vim and Emacs?
0: Uh... No, I don't think we even talked about
1: this. I like the concept of the Vim keyboard shortcuts. I don't think I could. I am too old a dog to learn those new tricks though.
0: I've been trying to learn Vim for my whole life. The only thing I've gotten down now is DD to delete a line. Uh, you. I know you have to hit I to insert stuff.
1: And then escape to escape
0: go back. Escape and, and then either colon Q or WQ. That's all I got. But I do... So, what? I don't think I've ever used Emacs in my life. I've never used Emacs. I've never opened Emacs in my life. So, I don't know if I could speak to Emacs, but I do know that if you take the time and you really want to spend a weekend with a bottle of whiskey, like you can get Vim to be really dope. I've done it before with Mac Vim and all the stuff. Like, you can set up some themes that make Vim pretty cool, but then you still got to learn the key bindings. And then the more, the one thing I do know is the more stuff you add to Vim up front, the worst time you're going to have. You got to start with like, literally start with like. In the terminal. In the terminal. Just but, open it
1: with whatever terminal yeah, color is and just. Play with it. You know what? Just try to, just open it
0: first and then just try to close it. Yeah. Just try to get out of it. Just do that first. <laughs> I love when like, like um, one of the reasons why that like forced me to learn how to use Vim is that if you don't know this, the Amazon Web Services core boxes, like the core images don't have.
1: Nano. Nano. What
0: I think they only have vi. <laughs> yeah, does it let you install Nano? It uh, might it, not have it in the repo. No, they does. have Their own they they do Linux images for they those do, servers, but, right? And they they have mirrors of all the stuff, but they probably do it the same space. But that's wild. I think they do because most people that are like servery people know how to use VIM, so they're like, sure. oh, do vi. Like they just pick what packages are installed by default on those images, and they that's remove true. they remove Nano. I'm pretty sure. Uh, They may have changed that, but when I used to do it, like I used to get on servers and be like, okay, and then I had to learn how to use Vim and then I just learned how to use it to edit simple files. But I do know that if you're going to use like a cool version of Vim, I've used NeoVim and it's pretty dope.
1: Yeah, there's a bunch. There's NeoVim, there's MacVim, there is SpaceVim. Yeah, I think I've used that one too. It's there's good. There's space. Well, the thing about SpaceVim is that there's Space Vim and Space Emacs. There's Space Max, I think. So I think they I've are, used Space
0: Max. Maybe I have used Emacs.
1: Before. I don't know. They're selling guns to both sides. I guess. I don't. I don't. Oh, yeah. I don't know what they're Whatever. doing. There,
0: but I just like the idea that those things, like they encapsulate the ability to install plugins. They're kind of like um, uh, Zish, where you can like install little plugins yes. for things. They're kind of like that, and they kind of make it nice to like put things together. Um, but I, I'm a big fan of just straight Vim with any color theme and then the ability for it to understand like basic languages. Yes. I mean, like it's a really cool editor experience. The only problem, the only reason why I haven't fully committed to like actually caring about my Vim environment on my Mac is when you SSH into a server. It's not there. Nope. So what's the point? Nope. You still got to go into a server and look at black and white text when you're on the I server. Sure. And if you're in terminal a lot, like when you're writing stuff on your own computer, unless you're like a total diehard and you're like writing all your code in Vim or Mac's whatever emacs directly in the terminal and you're insane or you use like mac vim and you create a window out of it whatever you do if you're that extreme and you're making an editor out of it great but if you're connecting to a remote server unless somehow you forward your shell which I think there's a way to do that like forward config yeah, you and could
1: stuff. probably scp it if
0: you, want yeah, it. If you, if you really, really, really wanted to. Want to but then you're polluting the server with your opinion on how to use this thing yeah like, it's messed up well, I don't know. I, I have not committed to it because the minute I issue to a server, I type vi, edit a file. It's black and white, and I'm like, pfft, "Don't so get why me we can't of have Nice things.
1: Get me out of here.
0: Well, I do what I need to do, and I get out.
1: Yeah. the The biggest thing for me for Vim is just the keyboard shortcuts. That's the only thing. The concept of it.
0: Sounds it's like a very very powerful editor.
1: If you get good sure. at the Vim keyboard shortcuts, you are going to be
0: faster with those than you could ever be with any other editor but then you're going to be one of those people that's like what is this i gotta use like vim mode with intellij which i tried to turn on one time and i tried to do it when i was getting ready for the 60 and i was like can i live in this world where i'm doing these key bindings and i found out very quickly no
1: no you cannot i cannot uh, you know what the baby step is i think i talked about this uh is gmail I Go do use gmail go, well go into the gmail web interface and go into the settings and there is an option for the keyboard shortcuts it allows you to navigate with uh, sort of a very small subset of Vim. You know, so the you can very, go up and down. Yeah. You go up and down with H and J. Um, and there are a couple other ones, but there, it's like, it's all kind of keyboard. <laughs> you're
0: like signing off on your email and you're like, Escape, W, Q. Yeah, Boom. It's like, email shift, sent.
1: Shift, Z, Z, burn my inbox to the ground or whatever. I, I don't really yeah, know. No. But yeah, the keyboard shortcuts to me are the point of Vim.
0: You so. know that all important business emails happen in Microsoft Outlook. I don't know what you're talking about.
1: That's probably true, but I'm in my personal email on Gmail. I was
0: just kidding, but uh, the, most you're businesses require right. you to use Outlook. <laughs> you're probably 100% right, though. I don't know, man. The Mac and Android and all that stuff, the, the Microsoft Outlook email client is pretty good on mobile. That's not too bad. Pretty nice. Uh, pretty on nice. Mojave,
1: if you turn on dark mode, you can choose whether or not you want your Outlook window to respect the dark mode or not,
0: mm. which is pretty neat. I had to uninstall Mojave. Oh, it yeah? bricked my computer. Oh jeez, we talked we told, about that. We talked about it a little bit. Yeah, what's the next
1: one? What's the next one here? Uh, optimization. When should you do optimization? How early in the process should, should you do optimization? Ooh,
0: um, this
1: one is this one is mm-hmm. to me is a Rorschach test mm. because if you are, it's very if you answer anything other than you worry about optimization when you need optimization, you're doing it wrong you're mm. you're thinking about the wrong things man. so
0: what let's just clarify what kind of optimization are you talking about well things like like function optimization or probably like like how you write
1: code right like oh you should you should i don't know destructure your props so you don't have to write props dot every single time or something stuff mm-hmm. like that i think when when they were talking about this on the episode they were talking about literally things like trying to write almost like code golf where you're trying to write the least amount of code possible to do the thing in order for it to be more performant or like writing certain functions, certain ways because it's 50 milliseconds faster in the browser or stuff yeah. like that. And they were like, who cares?
0: Yeah. So I here this is where I kind of like lay the law on this one. Like there's certain th- design patterns that you could get into where it's going to be very, very hard to fix those performance issues on the browser. Like, I don't know, doing too many for loops and not using map reduce. Let me actually interrupt you and bring up an example,
1: I mm-hmm. think is mm-hmm. illustrative of this. So yeah, there have been, I think a couple of studies that have shown that when you define colors in CSS, if you define them as a hex code, that will always be faster than defining them as HSV. Or something. Uh, no, like a, the actual like named, mm-hmm. like if you write color colon in the word white mm-hmm. versus color colon FFF pound signed FFF
0: mm-hmm.
1: the FFF the actual hex code that will render I literally think it's like twenty five milliseconds faster or something like that mm-hmm. and apparently there are people who are angry online register trademark about the fact that people would use named named CSS colors when this other thing is quote unquote so much faster mm-hmm. even though hex codes are impossible to read.
0: So one thing that I would say is that unless you're right, like with hex code specifically, unless you are literally just putting things in temporarily and being like red for like an error state, nine times out of 10, the color is not going to be what what the browser thinks red is. It's going to be some freaking variant of red. Well, it's the CSS red. No, no. It's going to be like whatever the designer told you with a pound FFF color or even like an HSV if they're insane or like a... An RGB. RGB color it's going to be like some other thing then they're going to want some specific red most of the that's time true. Ferrari red yeah there's going to be that case but that's beside the point I think I'll give you the inverse of that so Babel right I've heard some people say that the best code that you can write is the least amount of code that ends up in the compiled code yes that's true how the hell do you know what that is with Babel like what are you talking about this is true Like you're getting what the compiler gave you that day and what the Babel people think of compiling shit at that day is like, you're not going to, you don't know what it's going to be. And you don't know what it's going to be tomorrow because Babel could be like, you know what tomorrow, uh, we actually have a native use of map. So, but you know what? I can't use it. So we're going to keep polyfilling it. Oh, we screwed up in the polyfill and then we change it. You have no idea what the compiled code is unless you're literally looking at your compiled code and seeing exactly how that becomes on the browser in the compiled markup, like, what are you talking about? This is true. So then you're like, okay, well, I could write my code so that the code in the editor is as small as it possibly could be and is concise. I don't agree with that. I think that's what they're talking about. Do not over-optimize what you're no. writing to remove like, you know, a couple definitions or an if statement here because it makes it more concise. There's certain conventions that any generic developer is going to understand. Ternaries and JSX probably people are going to understand how that works. Don't nest them though. Don't nest them. Don't ever nest ternaries. But sometimes people are going to say, you know, render this thing or null. And then I have another developer who tells me, why do you always do ternaries? You can just do that (laughs) value or, and then you just put the, you put the other component. It's the same thing as a ternary. You just don't have the null or, right? Because if it's or that, or it's null, but But, you better know what you're doing with that. But You better know what you're doing. And also the thing is like the person who looks at that is going to go, what the heck is this thing where there's like a, a value where are these dot cats or a component? You're like, what does that even mean? It doesn't make any sense. It works though. It's the it same thing works. as a ternary. So it's like you can over optimize by decreasing the amount of code you're writing, but my opinion is that the code that you have in your source code should be, first of all, the most understandable by your entire team. Yes the most understandable by the general development population. You're not just randomly writing some crap for no reason. And then secondary, is it the fastest it can be on the browser given your requirements? And consistency. And consistency. Well, that's where, yes, Lint comes in, all these things. But yes, is it consistent? All of those things given, then maybe you can care about what it looks like on the the result of the browser. But to be honest, like once Babel compiles something, until we get web components... Whatever the hell Babel is compiling is like that is the same thing as bytecode to me. Who cares? Babel thinks it's the fastest the way that they're compiling it. it. There was that thing when Babel first came out and all the ES7 features came out, all the ES6 and 7 features weren't natively supported. There was a website that a developer, a very smart tech director I used to work under, told me, like, look at this chart and see that when you write object assign in like yes this particular time you write it in in inside of ES6 compile it to babel and then go back that thing runs 14 times slower than if you just do the equivalent in like object.clone or whatever the heck the thing was in the original the old way you did it before ES6 because babel just makes shit up and puts it inside of the browser and it runs yes but like the way that they compile it granted is going to be a way that has been tested, and they do tons of work, I'm not trying to bash on them, but they do tons of work to make sure it works. They're making sure it's performant, and they care about the nitty-gritty that shows up in the browser. But the thing you have to understand when you're writing code for a compiler is you have to understand somewhat how it's going to compile it. That's what I would say about that. So you have to know that Babel is going to turn your, your set, for instance, like your JavaScript set, it's just going to convert it to a closure object. Yeah, that's true. Like whatever they're doing, they're going to convert it to something. If you know what it's being converted to, then great, write for the compiler. But I don't like that compiler changes literally all the literally time. Literally every day. So between who cares when you start your like project,
1: between when you begin your project and when you end your project, you will probably go through, I'm going to say at least two different versions of Babel.
0: Yeah. And if you don't freeze your package JSON, five semver minor versions came through and your shit changed. Yeah. So it's like, what does it matter? Like, you have to understand that you're... you're. It's not like you're writing something for the bytecode compiler or you're writing something for C++ where there's only one way it's going to compile it to assembly. Like, it's the most common way that it's going to do it for, like, the eternity. You know, like, this thing is going to turn into this thing in assembly and you're smart enough to know what that is. Great. That is not what Babel is. No. So a personal pet peeve of mine, I don't know that it really matters. I personally think that what matters is... For me, and I've had a lot of experience working on projects where there's a lot of developers on them. In my opinion, barring obvious performance concerns, you're writing an algorithm. Maybe you should think about how you're writing the algorithm to be performant. But if you're just writing markup, it should be if you're just writing like 90% of the common code that is inside of an application, you should write it not stupidly. So don't intentionally add performance issues or negligently add performance issues don't do that but don't over optimize it and then when it comes to algorithms write it first and optimize second so i don't know
1: i think the rule of thumb that i follow is that you should never be sacrificing readability or understandability for performance gains
0: yeah and readability
1: readability is more important because guess what one of your developers is going to leave in the middle of that project you're gonna have to hire someone new yeah, or you're going to go on vacation, and come back, and forget every single line that you ever wrote, mm-hmm. and so you're going to have to teach yourself your own code base again.
0: I have done that. Yeah, and also the other thing is the more now there's two sides of this argument that I'm about to say, and maybe this is one of the other questions: whether or not you would use a library or not. later
1: that that's a bigger one. That's not quite a bike shedding one. Well, an I, 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 interesting. It one be. now, do not use left pad. Well, how do you know? <laughs> That's the whole point of LeftPad.
0: You don't know if the shit you're using uses LeftPad. You have no
1: idea. I think what they're saying is don't install LeftPad yourself. You should write your own LeftPad.
0: Okay, but the point that the other thing is LeftPad is the obvious one because that was a big debacle. But it's like somebody else. I mean, how often, let's just say, how often do you actually look at the required dependencies of the first party library you're using? I never look at them. Okay, so then how often do you look at the second party? What the, the party I don't look at that, them.
1: I I, okay. I know that somebody somewhere is using left pad because I dealt with that. When I'm not that talking whole about What's going on?
0: I'm talking about like
1: well, using left pad as an example. Let's talk of about like the dependency tree. No, I know. I but, know. But the reason mm-hmm. I want to address that because I have seen recently uh, there is kind of this I don't know if I want to call it subculture, but there is a movement towards using what are called ES modules, mm-hmm. which is when you import, you're not importing from an installed npm package, you're importing from a literal website. And so you, you're not going import React from React. You're going import React from https colon backslash backslash.
0: I'm sure that's something, common. Something. It's like, so you don't have yeah. a
1: bundler. You don't have a bundle.
0: You're writing React and you don't have There's a There's that Pico thing or something that just Pica, came out recently. Pica. Pica. Yeah, somebody... You know what's funny is somebody was like, oh, it's this thing that doesn't use Webpack. I think one of the dependencies of Pica is Webpack. Probably, yeah. I think... Well, no, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, Webpack. It was Rollup. Check that because I don't want to be wrong. But either way, like... I don't know. This, this world is going crazy. The true solution of this world is going to be web components, and then you're going to have the ability to write whatever you want. You can write C++ inside of your website. Whatever's performant. that's how C++ is. What?
1: Pica package web. Run NPM dependencies directly in the browser. No browser file webpack or import maps required.
0: Okay, and then look at the dependencies of it. I'm pretty sure one of them is rollup. Unless they use it to bundle itself, and then I'm wrong. But it's one of the requirements of the library. But either way, all it is is another one of those things. Like, great, yeah, there's no dependencies and whatever, but one way or another there's a dependencies. Like just your yeah, up. But I think they to be fair, I don't know. I don't want to be wrong again about something, but they they might use it to build the thing itself. That's that would be a fair use of it. That would make sense, because it looks like they're using TypeScript as well. So they might be using it to compile the thing itself. But the point is, like, there isn't no dependencies in the, I don't know if that's the same thing you're saying where you're importing from a website, but like I would never, I, in my projects, never, ever, ever require something from a CDN URL, like CDN.js or whatever. I never do that. Granted, like, those things are probably not going to go down. And yes, there's an argument for, like, somebody else on the internet may have downloaded that version from that thing from somewhere else. You should keep your own version, though. You should keep your own versions of things. You should build your own thing. And you should understand what's in your thing if you're building something important. But the whole idea that, like... There's there's two sides of this coin. So this one I'm a little bit like less extreme about, but it's kind of like a... what does Peter Griffin always say on uh grinds my gears or whatever?
1: Yeah. bird, bird, bird. the bird is the word, the but the bard, bard, bird, the bird is the word. Is it the bird bird? I'm sorry, I get
0: it. Yeah, you're bird. gonna keep going. Sorry, Anyways, sorry, sorry. like it is a little bit of like a tissue of mine because I fundamentally understand the argument. Like either you're going to rely on a library for something, or you're gonna write it yourself. So there's this is this is a definite pro and con situation that could go either way you can either write your own stuff okay you can write your own micro framework for your instead of using react you can write your own version of lodash you can write your own utility functions you could do whatever you want but guess what who's managing those functions you are you are who's qaing them you are you are who's the problem responsible when they break you are. You are. Who's responsible when they're not performant? You, you are. are. You Who's responsible? Du- you just doubled your workload by writing your own well, framework. hold on. There is, there is an argument for the other side. That's why I said I'm on either side. But, you know, if there's a performance issue where the way you wrote it compiles with Rollup or compiles a webpack and isn't performant or it gets out of deprecated or you need to rewrite it some other way, you're always responsible. The other side of the coin is you can rely on something like, let's just say for utility functions, you can rely on Lodash, right? The old argument used to be, why would you rely on Lodash? Because you're importing the whole thing. It used to be like, back in the Bauer days, it was require Lodash, and boom, you have 33K of utility functions in your code, right? You don't have that anymore. No. Lodash literally has named imports. Yes, import, you can
1: name individual, whatever yeah, whatever any function function from Lodash you're using, you, you just literally import that only. Yeah, and guess what?
0: That one function, how tested is it? It probably works. 100% unit tested, I'm sure. Also, it works. Also, half the internet relies on it.
1: Did you just become an open source hipster? I think you just grew a beard in front of me.
0: I always am the same. I've always been the same way. <laughs> I don't know. Like I, you I just, you just, be, you just converted
1: to open source communism on the show on air. Did you just realize that? No. See, cause, you cause just, I'm saying you it's just socialized the QA for package for JavaScript packages. How do you feel about that?
0: <laughs> I don't know. Is but, this your, pl- is this
1: your platform for running for office? Tell no. us about the, the future of freedom where all, all software is open source and there's nothing proprietary ever.
0: I don't think that's true, though. I don't think I made that argument. I know you're joking and it's funny, but I did not make that argument. I said that you can either take the open source off-the-shelf package and then if, like, Lodash, for instance, goes closed source or gets bought by Oracle, which that kind of shit happens, all of a sudden that Oracle, thing— Oracle, man, just buying well, stuff. It'll be like <laughs> They're that. They're just
1: buying stuff for no reason. <laughs> and then all making of a our sudden, lives hard.
0: All of a sudden your JRE license is not allowed unless you use yeah. OpenJDK and then you're like, come on, people. So whatever, you know, you can have that situation happen where somebody buys the library that you use right out from under your feet and changes it, or it could be misused or, or not used anymore. It could go out of, uh, support. Someone could stop working with it. And all of a sudden it has left pad and then it doesn't work. Or you can write all your own stuff and then you're responsible whenever it breaks. The argument for the, you're responsible for when it breaks, you build it yourself idea is you own it. But the problem is when that developer who wrote that shit leaves, you're stuck with it. Yep. You better understand how it works and yeah. every one of your developers better understand how it works and you better isolate. That's the argument for using Yarn workspaces is the argument for using separate packages for your org is because each of those packages, when you get really big, can be maintained by different people. So you have your utility functions. They're maintained by somebody. Somebody who loves that kind of crap and loves writing utility functions maintains that stuff for you. If but, you get big enough, you can hire people specifically to do those specific oh, things. Oh yeah, you can, You can for hire sure.
1: someone who just writes test automations. What do you think pipelines. Facebook? What do you think Facebook creator react for? It's pretty wild. It's pretty big time. But so okay. that's I don't
0: know. That's where we're at. What's the next one? Get I'm, getting, I'm getting fierce. Uh, let's
1: see. There's only a couple left. Browser oh, support. Man.
0: What browser should we support, Greg? Whatever browser quality assurance tells me should be supported. Greg, I don't know if you have heard the news, but the <laughs> only
1: the only browser that exists anymore is Chrome. That's so. not
0: true at all. <laughs> uh, I would say that you should support. To my honest opinion, is that you should support whatever browsers. Your customers use so whatever browser comes up in your analytics as a highly used browser. And I think the argument that you should use that you should like support every browser in the world is because you don't know who's looking at what. If no. you have analytics, you do, and if you have something like Bugsnag, you know when shit breaks and you know what browser. But you're in. building something from scratch, so you don't you don't have a uh, analytics base yet. Well, then I think that you should support all the mo- all the modern browsers. You should support IE. You should support Safari. You should support how far support- back can I? I would say probably just the the most recent. I, this is my opinion on IE. and I know you're going to. This is a hot topic. My opinion is that your application should work in IE, whether or not it looks correct. IE eleven, it should work there.
1: What about nine? Actually, no. Depends on stop, your. No, stop supporting nine because Windows Seven is is end of life, folks. You should not be using that.
0: I would say my opinion has always been on projects I work on. It should work in IE eleven. It doesn't have to look perfect though. It doesn't have to look perfect. Yeah. That's, it should that's work, the compromise. Though. The user should be able to use it. Graceful degradation. They should be able to do whatever it, like. They should be able to happy path it, whatever. And even some of the intricate stuff should work. It should still work. <coughs> yeah. It should still be usable. Whether right? or not it looks right. Whether or not that, you know, I mean your flex box is button gonna, is your, rounded.
1: Your flex box is going to be off. Um, if you didn't do your units correctly in your CSS, your stuff's going to be off, but if it still works and it's still usable, then that's what they get.
0: Yeah. And then you throw the warning that says you're in an old browser or the banner at the top, whatever. Um, and then I think that beyond that really it's just the most modern browsers. And then once you launch, then you'll start to see who's using your crap. Then you'll know what you really need to support. And when a browser is drops below, You know, a certain percentage, whatever's comfortable by your business or your client or whatever, it gets nixed. So, if 2% of your people are using IE and you want them and you want to stop using IE9, then you literally throw up a banner that says, Hey, if you want to use this thing anymore, please upgrade to IE11 at least, or, you know, get Chrome, like, or whatever you want to do. That's
1: true. You should not be using Windows 7, folks.
0: You can it use is, Windows Seven with no, IE eleven. Is, it
1: is end of life. That's yeah, what doesn't I'm saying. Mean that you can't. There are people that are using it. You should not be using it. That's well, my that's, point. Well, there are people brings, that still use it. That actually brings me to my point on this topic: is that mm-hmm. the browsers that I agree with you. First, off, first and foremost, you should be you should support whatever browsers you're required to support. That's it. Uh,
0: and whatever your people, your users use.
1: Well, that's where the requirements come from.
0: No, like literally. Okay, I'll, I would just say to clarify my point, and then you can go. I would just say. You should use what you're told to use by product slash reasonable expectations and quality assurance should tell you what to do. You and then there should be some kind of negotiation If they say IE9, you say like, why? Oh, we have clients that use IE9. Great, tell them to get new browsers. Yeah, doesn't always work, but great. And then from there, once it's launched, you should look at the analytics. And if something is used a lot, and you should probably have bug snag. I think if you're if you're really building an application like a website with a service or like a SaaS or something. You should have a client-side error catcher like Bugsnag or something in there so you see when things crash. And then you'll know what browsers are crashing. Oh, IE11 is throwing this error. Great, let's fix that real quick if we can. So there's that. And then beyond that, it should just be whatever's new. Go. That's,
1: That's all I true. Got. So the flip side to this, the the devil on the shoulder to this is that we developers have very few avenues where we can actually kind of express an opinion on the general public who use our products, mm-hmm. this is probably one of the only ones, right? Mm-hmm. Like you were saying before, you know what people people should not be using IE nine anymore. That's not a that's not an opinion. That's not a preference thing. That's a no. Windows seven is end of life. It is a security nightmare. If you go to your banking website on IE nine on Windows seven, you were going to get robbed on the internet. Your IE nine is probably already a backdoor to like it's, it's already a replaced back. Browser. It's already backdoor. <laughs> what are you doing there? And so there is an aspect to say like, yes, we do know better than you user. We do know better than you. And we know that you should not be using IE9. So we're not going to support it. Mm-hmm. So that perspective, how hardcore you get with that. Like if you get to the point where you're going, we're not going to support Safari because it's proprietary. Cause, cause it's annoying. Cause, sometimes. Greg, Cause Greg is an open source communist. Now and we support no proprietary software. Uh, That's, that's a little bit hardcore, but I have been in situations where the requirements say that you have to support a certain, it's usually IE, a certain browser, not because the data of the usage supports it, but because someone in an office somewhere who's very important and wears ties to work says that they have to. They're on a machine that uses it. Well, guess what? Dude in corner office where the ties to work. You should not be going to your bank on IE9 on Windows 7. You should not be operating machine.
0: company business on IE9.
1: Yeah, you're the you're the reason why everybody's passwords got stolen the other day. So, yeah, no, we're not going to listen to you. You probably account. responded Sorry. to
0: that uh, phishing email. The test ones
1: that your that IT your, sends yeah, out. Yeah, that your CTO sent Yeah, you, you can't even do that, Mr. CTO guy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, after that hot spiciness... The, the, joke, the joke about Chrome Some is bracha. that since everybody uses Chrome to develop on, that mm-hmm. ends up being the kind of default, de facto default browser that everybody uses, which you should at least, I would say Chrome, Firefox, Safari, I don't like supporting IE11 because I don't see the point in it, but Edge, and then Edgeium, which the Daily Builds just got released, I think a couple of days ago, so you can actually test it out, but Edgeium is just Chrome. And so eventually, every browser is just going to be Chrome, mm-hmm. which is kind of sad. Well, Chromium, but you know, Chromium is Chrome. Mm-hmm. There are very, <laughs> very few. If I cut, if I change the logo and change all the references to what it was it was looking at, and I pull up Chrome next to Chromium, you wouldn't be able to tell. Well, difference.
0: there's differences, but
1: yeah, the engine is the same. Basically, if you installed it in your mom's computer and just said, "Oh, they updated the logo; it's a different color now," she wouldn't be able to tell the difference. My mom either. So that's that's kind of how that is. Well,
0: I don't know. I mean, I've had situations where Chromium crashes on like on my Linux box, but Chrome itself doesn't. I, that's probably just the wrappers that are around it. Like maybe Chrome is more polished or Chromium is more bleeding edge. I don't know.
1: Depends on how you installed it.
0: That's probably my problem. One day you can come over and fix that for me. It,
1: deb- it does depend on how you install
0: it. I don't know. That's a weird one. You run into weird I have like this issue into. where every time I turn on my Linux computer, it goes Chromium, Chrome or Chromium, whatever has crashed. I think it's just Chrome. Has crashed. And then you, you're like, did you end up switching to elementary or no? No, I don't know how to reformat my hard drive. All
1: right, I'll I'll teach you one.
0: Because I have, well, I have like five. We talked about it. I have like five hard drives. I'll come on my over to teach you and one My day. computer just plays Destiny. I gotta find it a... Just, it. I, just it plays Destiny, I, you can do it and right. you know, Budgie opens up IntelliJ, and I'm
1: fine. <laughs> that's that's all you need.
0: Yeah, it works. I can code on trendy. it. I can code on it. All right, last one. Trailing commas. ha <laughs> I hate them. Oh my goodness. Why do you do this cuz you're lazy and you don't want to type a freaking comma? You want to say you, you
1: want to save a line in your git history.
0: Bam. I mean, you just all it does is it saves you from having an error when you're dumb and you don't put a comma on the last thing that you're adding. So it literally saves
1: you a line every time you add a new line to an object in your git history. So instead of when you add add a new item to an object instead of there being two lines in that commit, there's only one line. I don't in that care. Commit.
0: The, the, you don't have a trailing comma. It's like,
1: I'm glad this is the uh, one that got you to, to bring the spice to bring the heat. Oh, this one brought like, the spice that you're just like really super like argh, about.
0: I just think that the, the, all the things that standard JS does to like make you write less stuff or have to type less. It's like, I'm sorry, but it's not coding the language that you have on the paper that, that you write in the editor is not there for you to type less. It's there to be descriptive of what you're doing. And the language has conventions and JavaScript doesn't have trailing commas. The never well, has until standard came out and people are lazy.
1: The Boom. idea, the idea is that the trailing comma serves a couple of purposes. One, it mm-hmm. serves to separate items in a list in any sort of list in the CS sense of the word list. But it also serves the same purpose as a semicolon it's to signify the end of the line. So it does both those things. no, Right. It's kind I'm of a firm
0: w- no on this one.
1: Well, this one is weird to me because it's similar to the argument about how people say that meaning of words change over time. Mm-hmm. Which some people say, no, that's an impossibility. That the meaning of change. The comma
0: literally implies that there's something coming next, and there's not. Think about it in the terms of it language. Could imply, it
1: could imply the end of the line because all, because every single Tell ES me in link the English language where a comma. Every single ESLink config that I've ever seen that says if you have an object with more than one item in the object, each one of those gets its own line, and so now the comma de facto becomes a signifier of the end of the line. Boom.
0: Mm, still no. Open your third eye, Greg. Get woke. Let's go. Uh, I think there's bigger things in life to worry about. If someone le- leaves a trailing comma in life, then fine. But I just find them annoying because then you go, you when you look at stuff that's that's like JSON that's that's like really highly common nested based, and you look at it, and every single thing has a trailing comma at the end. No, I don't know. Gotcha. My car is going to get stuck in a garage. I know. Let's do go. you? Do you have a pick? Um, no. Do you? Oh, he wants me to pick the, uh, the website that we were just looking at that's called Good Effing Design Advice. Just Google GFDA. So he's picking my pick for me. Their, he did their, his homework. Uh,
1: yeah, their URL is not not safe for our podcast, but they have some... They are actually, I believe, a design agency, but they also make these... They kind of have an aesthetic and they kind of have a idea that they drive if you go to their site and look at some of the stuff they have for sale it'll give you an idea of what they're trying to get across
0: i should get some state i should have them make me custom stationery that says don't effing leave a trailing comma in my code you probably could i that. can make some really good ones. that would be that's my pick i'm gonna make one you're gonna make one totally. no no trailing commas don't leave a trailing comma is that domain and available? put your freaking semicolons in don't so, submit code don't pr code with no tra- semicolons in there so you're basically anti-standard js is what you're saying I'm not anti. Like you're, if someone no, forced as, me to use it, I would use it. Anti is in. You're the opposite of everything that standard JS stands for. I mean, everything standard JS stands for. It's like you know what? It, I think really would, I've been thinking a lot about the triggers that I have. I think what really triggers me with standard JS is it reminds me of CoffeeScript. It's literally there to save it's you from not writing even remotely stuff. bad. No, that bad. It's it's not bad. It's not even close. It's not. But the amount of rage that I have oh, towards man. CoffeeScript is there because the, the literally all the things that are in standard JS are there to stop, to make it so you type less or think less. I'm sorry. Code is descriptive and it's imperative and it should literally tell you what it's doing. I don't care if you want to save lines. Put your colons in. Coffee script is bad. You can find me on Twitter
1: at Gregorski. I got to go. Oh, man. He is at Gregorski. I am at Al Park. (laughs) The show is at a public function. Spicy. We appreciate all of you listening to our spicy, well, mostly medium takes until that very last one with the commas no trailing commas folks no i'm, gonna, trailing get, I'm commas. gonna get the mug man oh man you can find all of our episodes all of our show notes all of our smiling faces at publicfunction.show. don't Just, at me bro no definitely add him about the commas all you know what i want you to get into a discussion with the maintainers of standard js on twitter about this and i want to see how
0: i don't want to no.
1: because true mastery of twitter is when you're able to have A super spicy hot take so let me just lawyer this for a second and and say and do it with sarcasm and still
0: it's fine be funny Mm -hmm. it's fine if you want to use standard gs even on a project that i'm on we just better agree going into it and i'm going to be annoyed and i'm probably not going to commit those stupid commas now walk it back no if you put now walk it back if you put
1: prettier on it walk walk, walk that opinion back greg do it walk it back
0: go like this walk it back all right you take too long to explain things walk it back so the thing about it is that if you use prettier, a lot of the 10 rules that are on prettier are allow you to enforce the things of standard. So if you really want to, trailing commas is one of them and colons I think is one of them. You can either say remove or add. i so I'm pretty sure standard js, I'm pretty sure it's one of the rules. There's only 10 rules. Wait, so the rules in standard js are optional? And you're this mad. No, 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 no. Sorry, not standard JS. I meant prettier. There's like 10 rules on prettier. There's not that many. And I'm pretty sure three of them enforce the standards of standard. So if you want or say like either way, they can go either way. So what I'm getting at is if you want me to work on a project that has standard JS, you better install prettier and you better do a post commit hook because I'm not going to conform to it. Listeners, I
1: have a project for you. Leave us a review in iTunes. If you agree Mm -hmm. with Greg, leave us five stars. If you disagree with Greg, tell him why in the review, but also leave us five stars.
0: See, this is where your logic isn't going to work. What you should do is just say add him because if they leave it, you don't want people leaving a review of the show based on opinions about things you could have them say like, this guy, Greg's an ass and he's really opinionated. I don't like his show. That's a legitimate opinion. But you don't but want to be like, opinions, oh, I don't like his opinions no. on standard jazz.
1: Our, our opinions are what make the show. Our opinions no, are I'm part just, of the essence of the show. I'm just so saying that you don't. Please leave that review. As long as it's five stars. And five.
0: I say, me personally, I say, if you like the show and you want to hear more from us, then you should probably leave us a review just so we know you're there. We know you're listening. That's and we know you too. like the show. That's so true. So say, you know what? Sometimes they have dumb opinions. Sometimes Greg says the wrong thing. Sometimes he doesn't know what he's talking about, but they're entertaining or they're not. And if we're not, Add us on Twitter because we will learn how to be better. That's what we do. But don't leave a review don't, just don't, to tell don't, us to be better. I don't want
1: you to walk back your strong, strong hot takes. Just oh, my hot takes are pure, you. man. Oh, yeah. Just, as long as you back those up on Semicolans Twitter, for life. it. All the semicolons. All the commas.
0: Mm. I just ducked. I just what am I going to throw, like, throw the mic at know. you? You hypothetically <laughs> threw something at me. I did. I don't. Honestly, at the end of the day, I don't really care as long as we all agree. Yes, we appreciate all of our listeners. There's more important things in life to worry about than these things, like actually building stuff. Even even if
1: Greg is going to take you to task for leaving out semicolons, we appreciate you listening. You can also email. I can't wait till
0: one of those hipster kids finds the AST compiler problems where like you have to have semicolons and then wonders why Babel doesn't work and then spends. Like literally a day of their life debugging why Babel won't compile because they missed a semicolon. If you run into that post, I wish that
1: on you. If you run into that tweet, Greg, and he will help you. Nope. Yes, he will. I'll be like, you should have used semicolons. Jump on the uh, Discord. I'll just do a Discord. mic drop,
0: and I'll be like, mic drop, use semicolons.
1: Jump on a Discord. Be like, hey.
0: You never know what it's going to do because Babel runs things through the AST compiler, and then you have no idea what it's doing. So... I mean, we,
1: we've been recording for almost an hour and a half, and I'm pretty sure Babel's gone through at least three version updates. So
0: you, you don't yeah, really know. You they don't probably know. now are like compiling sets to like, I don't know, quantum computing dipoles. You don't really know. You don't know. You still, don't know what it is. Still putting in this. Guys, we have this really cool thing. It's called Quantum Computing React. Oh, uh, but, but does it have semicolons? Though? <laughs> semicolons are like a polarized state. They're between three different existences all at once.
1: What about the commas?
0: the commas are like in a thing where they uh they go through like a computer with light and they transfer across the world
1: you should have commas on the end of every line they
0: are they're just in four places at once
1: every comma everywhere no, the
0: comma is interpolating between each line
1: no you're still wrong though
0: it's it's on every line all at the same time it's in two spaces schrodinger's comma schrodinger's
1: comma. that's the name of the yes. episode hashtag title there we go greg we yeah. will see you
0: next week totally mug that says i don't css. Not the one that's like the, the the traditional one that has like the pixels. CSS is awesome. Yeah, the one where it's like I said no, I don't yeah, want that. I want the, i don't that css one right there. Yeah, I mean but everybody everybody who does css has that mug. That's I want true. something more extreme. Uh my code works i have no idea why. No, that's 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 um, just a dumb statement. Talibad. You should know why your code doesn't work, Albert. No,
1: fucking no, no way, no. <laughs> there are so many CSS puns, it's ridiculous. I like oh, the, I like the Unicode one. Here we go. Yes. That's closer. That's the one. That is the one. That's what we want right there.
0: Maybe. There's a notebook. Look at that. I do want that. You want the notebook? That's pretty funny with the overflow scroll situation. That's pretty cool. There are, so many CS... there are so
1: I many CSS puns. It's
0: ridiculous. I used to like the Titanic when I was a kid. Oh man. I went to like the science theater thing in San Diego, the, like the the big like room where they had the screen on the ceiling. Yeah. I saw a big thing about the Titanic. And then later they had like an, an expose where they had like pieces of it and stuff at the science museum. Really? San Diego's awesome. If no one's ever been there, it's an amazing place. Yeah. It's and that, like, that sinking Titanic
1: is cool. It's a, it's a more like suburban Los Angeles. It's still technically SoCal. The weather's still.
0: Amazing. I don't know. Well, I mean, yes, in terms of the weather, but if you said it was like a more suburban Los Angeles, I think you'd get shot there. Oh, are they?
1: Are they? Are they hood in in?
0: No, not San really. Diego? Do
1: they rip hard like that? Not as no, nothing like it. That's the thing. Not like I mean, LA. Is no. that the is that the crew that you ran with in San Diego? Is that totally? Is that where you came from? Totally. It's why I'm so hard. Yeah, yeah definitely understandable. Mm-hmm. My my Ted story is when that movie came out. The first time I ever, that went was when you it. realized that you love him. No, that the first time I ever went on a date with a girl. Well, was to that oh, movie supervised without parents was to go see that movie.
0: Did she leave you? And she's like, I'm going to go find him.
1: Uh, she didn't actually physically leave. She may have emotionally left during mm-hmm. the movie. Yeah, but, she was like, this guy's uh, not Leo. Yeah. So no, he's not Leo. I learned a lot about love. That Plus day, he did I that weird
0: thing with the popcorn. And it was very awkward.
1: No, I did not. No, I no. did not do that thing with the popcorn. Hmm. CSS puns, guys. Think of one that involves the Titanic. Just let's just say that. Let's just say that. These are these are pretty good. We're looking at uh, Greg is looking for a mug or any some sort. Of uh, I never said I was looking for a mug memorabilia that. I was looking for how one. He feels about CSS. So there's a so we found a mug. Well, this is what I <laughs> this is what I typed into the search, Greg. Uh-huh. I typed in literally. I don't CSS mug.
0: Uh, excuse me, excuse me, you don't have an apostrophe and don't. Well, that's what, that's what Google what. Uh, I don't think Google me. understands what you mean when you don't apostrophe and you don't.
1: So we found, we found the traditional mug, uh, the one that says CSS is awesome, and the word awesome escapes the actual box that goes around the div, which anyone who's written CSS has run into that and loves that.
0: Oh, my God, there's one that said you are the CSS to my HTML.
1: Oh, gee, that's not, that is not what we want. That's not really that good, no. But then we quickly got into all of the fantastic CSS puns that are out there.
0: What is that mug, right? What is that big beer mug? No, that's... Beer no, one? No, coffee mugs don't fill CSS themselves. CSS
1: beer glass animation. Oh, my goodness. Is this real? Can
0: we look at this? Da, da, da. With Pug, really? Oh, Dude, Pug, really? They actually updated it to Pug, considering... What was Pug before?
1: It was, uh... It was always Pug. It just wasn't very good.
0: No, no, it was called something else before. Google
1: it. It was called something else. I don't... I don't... I don't... I don't... I've never actually used Pug. I've heard
0: of it. I actually Just to... Google what was Pug before it was Pug? What became, what came before? The Pug or the? Wow. That was not what we want. It's a Pug dog breed. Do Pug templating language. Jade? Was it Jade? Jade. Before? Oh. Jade sauce. Indeed, it was Jade. We've been around a long time, folks.
1: Mm hmm. I used Jade once. Do you think there's any reason to use Pug slash Jade in 2019?
0: I have actually used uh, a templating language like that recently. Not recently, but... what kind of... Speak more about this templating language that you speak of. Which one was it? It was... uh, What's the one that was before the... Like, people used Lodash templating language for a little bit. There was, like, one before that that was popular. Name the ones you know. It's one of the ones you know. Handlebars. The one before that. It was twig. The, no, the one that Handlebars was built from. Mustache? Mustache. Yes, that one. So there was there's a there's a mustache shell library that you can actually pass templating stuff into mustache templates. And you can build your own custom mustache templates? No, no, no. You can actually use it as a templating language in shell scripts. Oh. Yeah. You should look for it. You should put it in the show notes now. You, you want to CSS it. your shell script? No, no, no. You just like I did see somebody created a library where you could make, no, (laughs) I did see so many good puns. Someone created a library where you could make terminal programs out of React, which I thought to myself that makes no sense. It was like return spinner and like return text and like return. I don't know. I I I mean, I guess, but you could also just write a shell script in node. Yeah. Like, come on. Of, like, people who try to use Swift on the back end. I
1: mean, that's a thing. The jury's still out on that's that. You don't know if
0: that's going to happen yet.
1: No, the, it's I actually that, not a bad uh, language. It's not a bad language, but why on earth would you use it on the back end? Because it's not a bad language. It's not a bad core
0: language, and you can build stuff out of it. JavaScript, to some people, is probably a terrible language, and it, yeah, they use it on the back end. Yeah, but know. not like that's for isomorphism. It's not like necessarily well, a, isn't isn't that the, the argument name? for Swift, isomorphism. <laughs> not really, because it's going to work on like one of your apps and then like nothing uh, else you know I think a uh, thing that I've seen a
1: lot that I th- that disappoints me greatly is that a lot of people believe that the one thing that they actually do and build uh, is the only thing that exists so I've met a lot of especially I don't know why this is specific to iOS but it seems to be a lot of iOS native iOS developers who believe that iOS apps are the only thing that exists on the internet
0: well, that's because they can make a living making iOS apps and only making iOS apps well that's true but it's
1: just kind of a oddly unique I think it's an oddly unique subset of people iOS who thing. have those particular blinders. It's very strange.
0: I think it's an iOS thing. Basically, don't be like that. But anyways, what I was saying about the mustache on the terminal, what you can do with it is that you can... So like, there's other ways that you can create like property files or you can read JSON. There's this library called... I think it's just called JSON... Like, it's a JSON CLI, essentially. But you can... Because, you know, Bash is, like, notoriously not that nice for certain things. for like, scripting? Well, like, no, it does scripting really well. But, like, there's certain particular things that it doesn't do very well. Like, you can you can read a property file, but you have to, like, parse it on the equal sign and, like, use said to, like, take off each side of it and, like, do all the stuff, right? You have to, like, essentially regex it with said, which isn't really... It's its own language. It's not, like, regex. Unless you use Perl. You know, oh
1: pearl, that's a good
0: one. Well, pearl is the closest thing to shell that isn't shell. But either way, you can use like I found an interesting way of trying to like make a shell script that actually was like modern and smart, like Node would be, for instance. So I had a JSON file that you could parse particular properties using like um, JQ. I think was it either supported JQ or like lodash type property access, but you could read nested JSON objects, but in Bash. And then, but the interesting thing was, like, I set it up so that the configuration for the shell script was inside of like a JSON file, like you would do in like an instead app of a Bash RC. Well, no, not in, like instead of like if you want to have like config, so basically you want to build like a black box script that like a developer would use to deploy something, but then you want to have separate properties for like uh, like different configurations or like different keys or anything like you normally would do in a program, like a, like a dot environment file essentially for oh. the shell script, right? They don't have env for shell, as far as I know. Someone's probably made it, so don't quote me on that. But like, what I did is I used the JSON library to read from a JSON file, and then you can parse those properties into a shell script, and then you can essentially eval them into oh, like environment variables. Okay, And then you can use... In this particular case, I was using Mustache to like take those values out of the JSON file, and then inject them into a template that would then be used by something else. It was like a like a setup script that would essentially like take a, like a bunch of environment files and then create like a staging config or like a prod config in this particular case to be very specific, it was creating an SSH config and it was switching the SSH config like a dot SSH slash config file to like define how the SSH agent worked when you load that file, but it would dynamically switch between staging and prod.
1: That's interesting. So it's pretty cool. So you're like kind of separating your concerns in your bash
0: Yeah, I've had a lot of fun having the
1: same data in multiple bash scripts for different things.
0: Yeah, you could write one that was essentially staging or prod, and then you would pass like an argument like dash dash environment equals staging or whatever. And then it would figure out like in the staging version, I'm doing this, and the prod version, I'm doing this because let's just say, for instance, like your staging environment has lower, like requires a VPN but has less strict SSH rules, but then your prod environment uses a bastion and it's much more strict. Well they're different. Yes, that's true. So then you can like pre-bootstrap your project and say, in this particular case I'm running on staging, and then
1: I don't know. It's a fun little experience. It's like a dot M for bash, that's great.
0: Kind of, yeah. It's a good but put it. It's
1: fantastic. Could you yeah. do like the the internal colors and all that stuff?
0: Oh, with that? oh, I have I have a i term, but like no, 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 no. Like I have actual like you have to do it a certain way. Like you say like set set environment something and you set a color and there's like all the stuff you do. So like you have to create a function that's like Remember this function? It was called colored echo and you made fun of me. Remember yes, that? Yes. That's the function. It's essentially a function where whatever you pass to it is the text and then the second argument would be the color and you'd say like, you know, echo Albert in yellow and it would do it. Because like when I write shell scripts I have like all this organization around how I do it so that it's like really easy to see like when there's an error it's red, when there's a like a warning it's yellow, when it's green it's green and like yeah there's better ways to do it with like Node and Python and stuff but Sometimes Bash is the right answer, man. Sometimes Bash is the way to go.
1: I like Bash a lot because I keep a Bash script that installs all the stuff I need on a fresh installation of Linux, wherever I am. Yeah, Actually, it's, it's very yeah. Ubuntu slash Debian centric. So if I'm installing something else, then it probably won't work. But yeah, that helps helps me out a lot because then I don't have to go and like remember all the different things I have to install to get my machine working. Yeah. And it runs a lot faster. I can just turn on and go...